Happy, happy, happy Father's Day. Uh, probably that's most of you guys who are not here. Um, we got a couple dads that are here, but given the COVID fun and everything and kids being at home, most of you dads, if you're listening, you're at home. So we wanted to say happy Father's Day. Um, it has been a, uh, man, it's been a crazy privilege being a dad. Um, our oldest is nine, um, and it's been so much fun. Like, I was one of these guys that, yeah, I knew that I wanted kids, but there was never a moment in which I was like, I want kids now, or I ever said that I'm ready for kids. Um, but when, when Caleb popped out and he didn't look like an alien and he was happy and he was healthy and he had that little faux hawk, I was like, man, this is it. Uh, it's going to be really, really good. And it's been fun to watch. Um, man, it's been fun to watch them grow and just, uh, to be honest, it's been fun to watch them give their life to Jesus at nine and seven, and, and it's, it's, been, it's been neat. Uh, today we're going to break just kind of briefly from our First Peter series just to talk to dads a little bit and, and will be dads or uh, uncles or whatever it may be. Like even though we're directing this towards dads, uh, I think this applies to moms. I think it applies to brothers and sisters and everything. But today specifically, we, I just want to talk about what it means to be a dad and just some things that, that we need to think about. Um, and I'm going to try to be brief, and then we've, we've got an announcement at the end and just some, some good news coming forward and just wanted to have some time to share that with you guys and uh, give everybody a chance to hear that and celebrate with us. Uh, so let's pray, and we'll jump in. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us. Um, God, we thank you for being uh, a dad that we could, we could never fully be, but we're glad that you ask us just to trust you and love you um, and imitate you the best that we can. Thank you for dads who have meant so much to us, who have shaped us. Thank you for my dad. Um, and just even yesterday, just thanking him for being a dad worth imitating. Um, God, I pray we can all be that. Thank you for the responsibility that rests in us to raise kids, to make little disciples who will become big disciples, who will make more disciples. Um, God, I thank you for that. I pray that we, we accept it and we live in it. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. It, it's really interesting if you, if you Google dad statistics about like the current state of our country and how it rests with dads. Uh, the census hides a lot of those, or there's a lot of information that we can find in the census. The last one that we have that we can pull from in 2017, um, it says that 33% of kids uh, are now living in a home without their birth father. And so that's one third, but then you look out a little bit further and one quarter of all kids uh, do not have a dad in their home at all. So not a stepdad. Uh, not a father figure at all. They're living uh, in a home without their dad. Um, and just some of the ramifications of that, if you start to look at like high school dropout rates, at crime, at all these things from a social perspective, we can look and just see that even if the world denies the fact that we get to invest Jesus into our kids as dads, the world would agree that dads are necessary. Like a present dad um, can change things for a kid, just being there. And, and I know the story of a lot of us in Origins, and I know that there are a lot of us in Origins that did not grow up with a father, that didn't have that, that father figure, and we've been able to unpack some of that and talk through that. And so, like, first of all, dads, if you're in the home with your kids, if you have a relationship with your kids, if you're present physically and emotionally, thank you. So, like, good for you. Like, do that. Um, but there's always room for us to improve. Uh, I want to start in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Um, and just, oh, there's a receipt in my Bible. I wonder what that's for. I don't know. We'll check that out later. Uh, Psalm 127, 3 through 5, reminds us, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. The NLT will say that children are a gift and reward. No matter what that first month of being a dad feels like, 
Um, like we try to prepare parents as much as possible that that first month of having kids, um, it, it's probably as close to hell as we're going to get. Not, not really, but it's pretty rough. Like that first month, I'm just saying, uh, is, is pretty rough. Like you don't sleep, you don't remember eating, all you remember is crying and pee and poop, and, and that's okay. Like that's, that's the circle of life in that month. And, and both parties, everybody, everybody's miserable, but also there's, great, there's a great big bundle of joy in your house, too. But, like, that's the, that's the deal. Uh, the second month, it gets a little better. Third month, it gets a little better. At one point, they're holding their bottle. You're like, we've made it. Uh, then they potty train. You're like, we're done. We can cash out. We've made everything. Um, but, like, just these little bitty victories that we have that remind us. But I think overall, we need to remember, even in the midst of chaos and craziness and in the midst of, uh, of us needing to walk outside and yell at a tree, um, so that we don't yell at our children, um, whatever that may be, we need to remember that children are, they're a gift and they're a reward. And even here, like I love the description in verse 4, it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's of one's youth. Or it's like giving us this idea of a quiver, like full of blessing is what God gives us with kids. Um, and so let's start, let's start there. And so, like today, I want us to acknowledge that, that uh, we need to thank God for our kids. We need to say, God, thank you for the kids that we have, the kids that we're going to have, the kids that you're preparing for us to have, but even the kids whose lives we have influence over, be they nieces and nephews, uh, maybe they're the kid across the street. I think if we read the statistics and we see that one in four kids in the United States does not have a father figure in their home at all, I think that should tell us that, man, we have great opportunity to intervene in the life of like a young boy or a girl that needs like a father figure. Um, and so don't go and creepily move into somebody's house. That's weird and you'll get arrested, but look for opportunities to invest in the children that are around us, um, especially the ones that just don't have dads. And it's not that we're singling those out, but hey, uh, they need it. And it's okay to single them out in this case. And so today, like the goal is just to give us like three tools from scripture um, to be like better dads. Thank God for our kids, they're great, but uh, we have to acknowledge that we can be better. We can be more. The first, uh, I want us to look at Proverbs 14, 26. Uh, we should have all these things up on the screen. If you're at home, you might not be able to see them. But Proverbs 14, 26 uh, tells us this. It says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. I think the first tip that I can give as a dad to dads or as a dad to dads that will be or even moms is, man, be a refuge for your children. Like, be a refuge for your kids. In this particular verse, it says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children uh, will have a refuge. Uh, in order for this to happen, if we're looking at this passage, I think it, uh, we have to understand that to be a refuge for, for our kids, it starts with us taking refuge in God. Like, it starts with us really taking refuge in God. If we read Psalm 91, it reminds us that God is our strength, he's our shield, he's our refuge. A refuge is literally like a safe place that we can be, that we can grow, and that we can learn who we are. That's a refuge. A refuge is also synonymous in the Old Testament with like a stronghold. That would be a castle that you would, you would go over the moat, over the drawbridge. The drawbridge would shut up, and when you were in there, it didn't matter what came, you were safe. You were protected. You were provided for. You had giant chicken legs. That's what I imagine, like in a stronghold or a castle. Like if I'm protected, I've got one of those turkey legs that you get from the fair. But that was every day, you know, um, and not the ones that would burn the flesh off your face. But they're perfect temperature. They're just right. It's like the Goldilocks thing, except it's a giant. Okay, I need to diverge from this metaphor. But like the giant turkey leg, I love it. So we need to be that for our kids. But in order for that to happen, we need to find our refuge, find our strength in God and God alone first. Uh, read through Psalm 91 there. 
Um, and it's all about building like a safe place for them. And so in order for us to do this, if we're looking to God to be our, our safe place, our refuge, our strength, our shield, uh, we need to learn how, um, how God shepherds us, how God disciplines us, how God loves us, and we need to live it out in such a way that our kids are going to see it regularly. I think the most important lessons that we're going to teach our children um, are not the ones that we verbalize, but it's the lessons that we show, the way that we respond, the way that we live, the way that we, we just, man, what happens when we encounter this stress or what happens when we encounter this blessing? What happens when life is not going well? Our kids learn by watching us. You know, there's even that cheesy, cheesy country songs because 96.7% of country songs are incredibly cheesy. It's science. Um, you know, the kid is asked, you know, the dad's like, where did you learn to do that, son? He's like, I learned by watching you in that same accent. And so our kids, they do. If you haven't heard that song, you're probably richer for it. But our kids, they learn by watching us. They see way more than you ever think they will. Um, Caleb, our oldest, uh, he has like a mutant memory. I don't know where it comes from, but he does. That is his mutant gift. Like if he was in a comic book, um, it wouldn't be super speed. Uh, he does have cool hair, but that wouldn't be a mutant gift. But like his memory is his mutant gift, and he can remember everything. And I'm 40, and I think my memory's still, you know, pretty good. Uh, it's not rusted shut yet, but he, he remembers stuff that is just impossible to, to think about. And, but our kids, they see everything. They perceive everything. While they may not be able to verbalize it, they, they have this ability to, to know what you're thinking in the midst of your response. And so we need to be displaying and we need to be modeling, we need to be showing what it means for God to be our strength, for God to be our refuge, for God to be that safe place in which we grow, we develop, and we learn who we are. So the first is be a refuge for your children. The second the second is, man, it's so beautiful. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is a passage that's read very frequently at weddings. Um, married a couple last weekend. And this was, this was one of these ideas that came out. And it's not a marriage passage. It's not really a parenting passage. But it's just, uh, it's just a passage about one specific idea. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And then here is this pivotal description. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The second tool, the second ability that parents need to have is uh, we need to be showing our children what real love looks like. Like what real, true love looks like. And like if you read this passage, I mean, I think it's fairly all-encompassing describing love. And I think it's pretty interesting if you replace the word love in this passage with Jesus, it still all fits. It's still all good. Jesus is patient and kind. He doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. It's not ir he's not irritable or resentful. All of those things. Like, this is Jesus. Because when we're modeling true love to our kids, ultimately what we're modeling is Christ. Like, the way we love them, when they screw up or when they succeed, we're modeling Jesus. The way we love our spouses, modeling Jesus. Like, gentlemen, if you go to Ephesians 5 and you look at what we've been commanded to do as husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, your kids will see that. 
Your kids will see that, and if we're doing it well, as Scripture relates it to us or relegates it to the men and their responsibility, if we're doing it well, they will see Jesus. We get to model the love of Christ to our kids in the way in which we love them and the way in which we love their mom. And I realize that not every situation is perfect, so the mom might not be in the picture, but you still get to love your kids the way that Christ loves your kids, and they get to see that. They get to perceive that. They get to see you being patient and kind. They get to see you not being envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on your own way, not being irritable or resentful. And granted, it's almost impossible. Well, I'll just say it. When I'm walking in my flesh and the Spirit is still here, it's still impossible for me to be all these things at all times. But hopefully, they get to see a big picture in the expanse of my life. Like, I, I think I'm one of the, the blessed that grew up with crazy great parents. Like, we got to see my mom and dad for a little while yesterday outdoors and um, got to take dad, just kind of a Father's Day present. And I just, you know, reflecting on the way my parents did what they did. I have no idea. They raised four kids, the first were triplets, and then me. And I'm grateful that they had me, but I think that's crazy and ridiculous that they meant to have another child after having triplets. Um, I could have been anything, and that would have been just horrible. Uh, but they did, and they did some type of job. Like, they did a great job, and I did. I got to thank my dad yesterday. I'm like, you're not perfect, but you're worth imitating. Like, the things that you did, the way you loved your kids, I don't understand. I don't know how you were so patient. I don't understand how you were so long-suffering, which, in which we brought a lot of suffering. Like, I don't get it how you did that. But I understand that at the center of my mom and dad's ability to do what they did wasn't themselves. It was Jesus. And they were able to love the way that they loved because Christ was in their life and he was real and he was radically changing them from the beginning of their salvation all the way until the fact that they'll be glorified with him someday. Like, he's been changing them, working in them. And so, for us, if we have a hope of doing this, again, going back to God being our strength and refuge, if we hope to love our kids like this, Jesus has to be, like, in the words of Waterboy, our tackle fuel. You know, he's, he's got to be that Man, I'm, I'm digging for references today. Look at that. Water boy. But, like, Jesus has to be the fuel for the way that we love others, including our kids and our spouses. And our kids will see that. They have to be, uh, we have to be doing that so that they can see it. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from, like, truly showing our kids, like, true understanding and forgiveness. Like, I think to model forgiveness to our kids is probably the one of the best ways that we can show Jesus to our kids. Because if you're not parents yet, or if you are, if you are, you understand exactly what I'm going to say. If you aren't parents yet, you need to understand. Your kids are going to upset you and make you mad. They're going to hurt you. Um, They are going to lie to you. They're going to deceive you. They're going to do all these things to you. And we have to show them what forgiveness looks like. Because Jesus showed us what forgiveness looks like. And they need to see what Jesus has done in us by the way we forgive them. James 1.9, um, another just, you know, kind of pivotal passage when we're thinking about the broader idea. Um, pardon me, James 1.19. And it just says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, we have to be able to show our kids that we love them enough uh, not to repay their insult with more insults. You know, because our, our response is to lash back, is to fight back. We think that that's going to fix things. And, and discipline for kids is going to vary as much as the child is going to vary from one, one kid to the next. And so we're not talking about discipline here, but we're talking about, like, like anger. Uh, we need to be able to understand our kids in such a way that, we are, uh, that we're quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And, and I'll even add to that, not adding to Scripture, to a scriptural idea, but 
quick to give grace and quick to forgive. Like we need to figure that out. But I think the other thing that we model with love too is that uh, we need to be able to go to our kids when we have wronged them too. And we need to seek their forgiveness. So we're modeling forgiveness that we give to them, but we need to model it also in such a way that when we mess up, because parents, if you are parents, you know this. Parents that will be, you need to know this. Just like your kids are going to hurt you, you're going to hurt your kids. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to screw up. You're going to go off script, and you're going, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to hurt your children. You're going to sin against your children. Why? Because you're a human. Is that liberty or license? No, but it's understanding. We are flawed. We're in a war. Peter's like, I mean, Paul constantly says, why do I, I do the things I don't want to do, and why can't I do the things that I do want to do? Just this idea from Romans, you know, this is going to exist in, in, in parenting too. And so we also model this love through the way in which, man, we go to our kids and we confess. We say, you know what, I, I messed up. Daddy made a huge mistake. I should not have yelled at you. I should not have done this. Fill in the blank, whatever it is, and seek their forgiveness. So we show them what love looks like in that. The third thing is this, and this is the last one from me. Um, Ephesians 6, 4. Go ahead and throw that up on the screen for me. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Um, Dads, you need to hear this. It's no one else's job other than yours to disciple your children. No one else's job other than yours to disciple your kids. Like, you are the primary discipler of your children. You should be. Now, are you doing it? I don't know, but your job's still the same. You are the primary discipler of your children. Not your pastor, not your children's minister, not their teachers, none of those. You. That's you. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We need to, number three, teach our kids what it looks like to follow. And this is not saying don't let them be an individual, don't let them have the hair that they want, don't let them be unique. It's not saying that at all. But all of us, all of us are called to follow Jesus. When Jesus called the very first disciples, we talk about it a lot. It's part of our DNA. He's like, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Our kids need to see that in us and they need to hear it from us that our lifelong goal and pursuit is to follow after Jesus, imitate him and be his people here. And it's no one else's job to do that other than, than us parents. And dads, I would say that you're primary. Moms, you probably do it better than us most of the time. I look at the way that my wife disciples my kids, and sometimes I'm like, man, she is far better at this than I am. And so it is a team effort. But dads, like if you read Ephesians 5, this, you set the tone for this. It's, it's not that you have to have all the answers. It's not that you have to know where to go all the time, but we are supposed to set the tone. Dads, disciple your kids. Teach them what it means to follow. Our goal is, is not just to make good kids, because the world is going to tell our kids about love, and that's the reason we need to model what true love looks like for them, show them that, but in this case, like the world's going to tell us, your goal as a parent is to make good kids. Our goal is not to make good kids, our goal is to make little disciples of Jesus. And that's not dogmatic, no, we want our kids to have eternal life, to follow after Jesus for an entire lifetime, this is our job. If we know Jesus and we believe in him so much that he has brought us from death to life, why in the world would we not convey this idea verbally, emotionally, spiritually, scripturally, incarnationally to our kids? We have to teach our kids what it looks like to follow. Our job is to make disciples, not just good kids. And guess what? If we're making disciples, they're most likely going to be pretty decent kids. And we're not called to make little moralistic children either. We're not called to make moralists. No, we're called to make disciples. And man, that's hard. 
when, you get in, when your kids get into elementary school and middle school, like, uh, there's going to be pressure that your kid needs to be the best behaved. Your kid needs to be the smartest, the brightest, sit at the front of the class, do all those things. And those things are fine. But you know what? I'll be honest. I would trade the best grades in the world if my kid loves the kid sitting beside him. I could care less to a degree. Like, I want my kid to succeed. I want them to do well. I want them, you know, to have those <laughs> report cards that you, you put on the refrigerator and you can go to the gas station and get free candy because you have so many A's if they still do that. I think they do, but either way, I did it. That's, you know, it's a recipe for diabetes and good grades, but it's okay. Uh, like, I want that for my kids, but more importantly, I want my kids to know that, that I love them because God loved me first and they're called to love others because God loved them first and loves them better than I do. Like, I want that for my kids. And that comes through teaching our kids that if they're going to follow anything in this life, don't follow the world. Just choose to follow Jesus and figure out what that looks like. And they learn that from us on a daily basis. Show them, but tell them. You know, we want to model love because they are going to learn far more from what we do. But at some point, we do actually have to explain to them verbally what it means to follow Jesus. So yes, model, but then when the time comes, be ready to speak. Speak often. If you need help doing that, if you're a parent and you don't know how to talk to your kid about Jesus, man, we can give you resources. We've been using, uh, we've got a couple different things that we read to our kids, um, and they're fun. One is uh, a Lou Giglio deal, and it's about indescribable and kind of takes science and the gospel and scripture and puts them together. There's like a hundred devotionals. So good. Our kids love it, and they learn stuff. It's, it's good. Jesus Storybook Bible, amazing. Jesus Storybook Bible, I will cry every single story, believe it or not. And I know, I know that, that I'm an oak, like I've talked about to some people this week. Like, I, you know, emotional oak. But either way, Jesus Storybook Bible gets me every time. Figure out what it looks like to teach your kids to follow. Show and tell them how to follow. Pray with them and pray for them. Like, pray for them daily, but also pray with them. Let them see what it looks like to pray. I love it when my kids volunteer to say the blessing now. And we didn't, you know, we never said, hey, this is how you do it, but they just watched us. And there were times in which, hey, do you want to say the blessing? They say, I don't know how. And they would say, okay, well, pray with me. Dear God, dear God, thank you for our food. Thank you for our food. Thank you for family. Thank you for family. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know what that's called? It's called discipleship. Watch what I do, do as I do, then let's talk about it. That's the way Jesus did it with the disciples, same way he wants us to do it with our kids. Not rocket surgery or brain science. It's just what it is. Just what it is. Proverbs 22, 6. It's kind of the last place that we'll land, and, and I'm done for the day, and I'll just say go eat large amounts of fried chicken because that's the answer for any holiday, um, especially Father's Day. I think we've got it up here. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Man, there's also this huge trust component in raising kids. And I, I, I don't know it yet because my kids are nine and seven. They're not teenagers yet, and they haven't wrecked my favorite car. They haven't done those things, but I know, I know watching how I grew up, it's going to happen. I know they're going to leave my screwdrivers out in the yard, and they're going to rust, and I'm going to be upset. I know they're going to lose the 5 socket out of my favorite socket set. I know it's going to happen, and it's going to wreck everything. I know, but here's the hope. Here's the faith that we, that we put in God. God, if I do what I should do with my children, I'm going to trust you with the rest. They may go off the reservation for a while. They may tell you that they don't love you. Uh, I may hear that at one point. My daughter's a redhead, and we know how redheads are. Um, that's a terrible generalization, but I grew up as one, and, you know, I'm, anyway. 
my daughter's just fiery. That's who she is. I call her red for a reason. Um, I know that there are going to be days when I feel like she is off the res. But if, if I am doing what I can do now and I am trusting Jesus with the rest, I pray and I hope that even when she's old, she'll never depart from what she's learning now. And it's, it's not me that's going to keep her there, but it has to be the Jesus that's kept me here, the same one. I remember when I went off the reservation. I, I know that I did. It's not liberty or license for anybody to do that. And my, my off the res probably looks a lot different from everybody else's. But, man, the trust is we pour in what we can pour in. Let God take care of the rest. It's a huge responsibility. Some days it feels like a burden. But, man, imagine the beauty of your quiver being full of kids who love Jesus. Kids who say that, Dad, I saw Jesus in you, the way you loved me, the way you loved my mom, and Dad, I trust in Jesus because of what you've done. And granted, it's because of what God did, but they saw it in us. Children are a blessing and a gift. We have to treat them as such. Let me pray, and then uh, we've got some, some fun stuff coming. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for loving us so well. We thank you for guiding us. We thank you for dads, and we thank you for kids, for moms, for uncles, for aunts who all invest so well in kids, and sometimes it's neighbors or teachers. God, I pray that we see the responsibility and the beauty of the gift that rests in children, and I pray that we could, uh, that we could be better, do better, do more, but not, not so that we could earn your favor, but God, so that we could be obedient to what you've called us to be. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for directing us. And God, thank you uh, that we can trust you with the after. Uh, thank you for calling us to do. God, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Good morning again. Man, that was such a powerful, powerful message, and we appreciate that. Um, so this morning is kind of a special morning uh, for Kaylin and I. I want to kind of just take some time and share just a little bit about what the Lord's been doing in our life um, just over this short amount of time. Um, and so, and to give some context to what God has been doing kind of in our lives just over the last few months, I wanted to share a little bit about my calling to ministry. So I felt like God was calling me into ministry as a teenager, and I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like. All I knew is that I loved Jesus and I loved his church. Um, and then by the grace of God, several godly men invested into my life and discipled me through college and right after college and really showed me what it looked like to follow Jesus and be a minister of the gospel. Um, and as a young pastor, kind of trying to figure out where I fit in ministry and how God wanted to use me, um, I was given a number of opportunities to serve in the local church, and Origins by far being the greatest. Uh, when I accepted the role here at Origins as discipleship pastor, Matthew and I both discussed how the role of discipleship pastor here would be an incredible opportunity for me to learn and to grow and to mature as a pastor while also, while also seeking after God's will and discovering what his plan was for mine and Kaylin's life in the future. And so now fast forward to fall of 2018, Kaylin and I, along with Pastor Matthew and Abby, we attended a church leaders conference um, called Immersion. And during this time at the conference, I felt a strong sense of unsettlement. 
not dissatisfaction, not discontentment, uh, but unsettlement, like this feeling of great passion mixed with emotions of uncertainty. Over the next year, uh, the Lord would begin to kind of slowly reveal a new plan and purpose for mine and Kaylin's life. I found myself sitting in the parking lot of a church building here in downtown Greenville that had experienced years of decline and a lack of influence in their community, which would eventually uh, cause the church to permanently shut their doors. The building was still standing, but the church was long gone. After the next year, I felt like the Lord was leading me to drive to this property and to sit and to pray and to read scripture. And so that's what I did. During this time, I became confronted with the overwhelming reality that unless something changes, hundreds of more churches will look just like this one in the next year. And I just want to kind of share some stats uh, with you guys. I received these from um, a local pastor here. Um, This was from 2018. It was the 2018 annual church profile. Uh, Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist Convention finished 2018 down 88 churches. So this is nationwide, down 88 churches compared to 2017, despite 878 new church starts. So I'll let you do the math there. 88% of churches in South Carolina are either plateaued or at risk of closing. In 2018, it was estimated that 200 South Carolina Baptist churches, these are churches like us, Baptist churches would close by 2023. And lastly, despite Greenville County, so this is just Greenville, being one of the fastest growing counties in the country, 64% of the 113 Southern Baptist churches in Greenville County are plateaued or at risk of closing. And so after a lot of prayer and many conversations between Kaylin and myself and talking to Matthew and seeking counsels uh, from pastors and mentors who knew Kaylin and I and had the experience with the ministry of church revitalization, it became clear to us what God was calling Kaylin and I to do and why we had to say yes to this call. So we kind of just began to wait on the where and the when. In the fall of 2019, Kaylin and I invited our community group uh, to join us in praying for declining churches in Greenville and ask God to bring growth and revitalization to our city and to the local church. And then in the winter of 2019 and early this year, through a number of relationships and circumstances and situations that honestly revealed to us how involved God was in the details, we discovered Dunning Baptist Church a church that is about a mile and a half from where we're meeting right here. Dunning Baptist Church was established in 1912 as a Bible study meeting in the attic of the local store of the Dunning Mill Village, pretty similar to how Origin started as a small group in an apartment community here in downtown. The church building was built in 1917, Uh, And its goal was to provide a church gathering for Baptists who worked in the mill and whose families lived in the mill village, most of whom could walk to church on Sunday. The mill village um, also built a Methodist church right next to the Baptist church. But unfortunately, the Methodist church closed its doors this past year. 
Although Dunneen has kept its neighborhood charm and close, friendly community, the Baptist Church has unfortunately experienced a steady decline over the past several years. The church recognized the divide between themselves and the community and its inability to reach the 600-plus homes surrounding it with the gospel. So they decided to reach out to our local association that we're associated with, the Greenville Baptist Association, uh, to discuss options for partnership and revitalization of its ministry. Earlier this year, Dunning Baptist Church voted as a church body to pursue a two-year revitalization partnership with the GBA and First Baptist Simpsonville. Part of this partnership would include a gradual transition of church leadership. This transition period would involve hiring a younger pastor who would serve as an associate pastor for nine months, serve as a co-pastor for nine months, and then become the lead pastor, which would then allow the current lead pastor to remain, um, sorry, would allow the current lead pastor to retire or remain on staff part-time if he chooses to do so. And so after being kind of simply spectators of this partnership, Kaylin and I decided just to begin praying whether or not this was something that the Lord would have us be a part of. And later, we became aware that my name was brought up um, as a potential candidate for the position, which brought us into the conversation between all ministry partners. After meeting with the pastor of Dunneen, despite our vast age difference, we shared a great connection and realized that we both had a strong passion, love, and desire to see Dunning Baptist Church have a strong gospel presence once again and see a revival come to the community. In fact, the very thing that drew Kalen and I to Dunning was the number of homes that are packed into a small area with a church located, with this church located at the very center. The amount of potential that the church has and the overall sense that the Lord is moving and is on mission in Dunning is quite evident. And our biggest prayer since the beginning was that God would show us where he is working and where he is on mission so that we could join him there. And that brings us to this past Sunday, which after multiple conversations and meetings with Dunneen leadership and after a lot of prayer from all parties, Dunneen Baptist Church voted last Sunday as a church body to invite Kaylin and I into this revitalization plan and hire me as the associate pastor with the expectation that I would grow into the lead pastor role over an 18-month process. After the journey God has taken us on, and the clear evidence that he has laid out during this process, we believe that it would actually be an act of disobedience to say no to this opportunity. And with that being said, we believe that God is at work in Dunneen, and he has great plans for the community. And if we decided not to participate, God would call somebody else to go. But by his grace, he called us, and we don't want to miss out on what he's going to do there. So we have accepted this call. I recall back in February, Matthew preached a sermon on Nehemiah chapter 2. I think it was February. uh, When Nehemiah sees the condition of his home city, and he's deeply disturbed for the well-being of both the physical and spiritual condition of the city, and he is compelled to leave his comfortable job working for the king and pursue peace where there is none. And I've heard this story many, many times, and in fact, I even told Matthew, before he preached, that this was one of my favorite passages. But for some reason, this time, the entire passage, I was just like trying not to just, just like ball crying. I was trying to hold back tears the entire time. And I'm not much of a crier, and I don't tend to get very emotional. 
Uh, but this, this morning was different. And I remember trying to kind of get myself together because I had to like get up and do announcements. And I'm just like trying not to cry during the closing song. And then Matthew tapped me on my shoulder and said, hey, man, I'll take care of announcements this morning. I got to say something. And I was like, praise God. Thank you. And so I sat back down. Um, and so um, I wasn't quite sure what was happening, uh, but I knew that during that message, I was just almost pre-processing or almost grieving beforehand something that the Lord was calling us to, and sadly, something that the Lord was calling us away from, which is our current ministry here. So on July the 1st, Kaylin and I will officially start our new journey uh, and begin fulfilling our responsibilities and commitment to Dunning Baptist Church. Although that doesn't seem very far away, the pandemic has made this process slightly more difficult than normal. Uh, But we've done our best to make sure that the leadership here at Origins has had plenty of time to prepare for our exit and how to proceed without us. Um, I will also mention that on July the 1st, I'm going to begin a nine-month church revitalization residency uh, with the Greenville Baptist Association. Uh, This new residency will provide me with training and equipping and give Kaylin and I the tools that we need to be successful in this particular ministry. And so we're really excited about that. So, This is what Kaylin and I need from from Origins. Uh, We need prayer. We need your prayers now more than ever. If you prayed prayed for us before today, which I I know most of you have, um, then we will need those prayers more now than ever. Without prayer, we will be ineffective in our efforts to see Dunning revitalized. Not only will will we be ineffective, but we will labor in vain. And then next, what we need is you. Man, we need you. We need you guys. The relationships in the community that this church has shown us over the last four and a half years um, has been crucial to our walk with Christ and to our ministry. But like prayer, those relationships will, e- will be even more, more important as we move forward. We're not naive to think that revitalization is easy. In fact, this could be the hardest thing that the Lord has ever asked us to do. So knowing that, Your relationships and support is what's going to help us push through the dark days. And we also look forward to celebrating together in times of great success and growth. As our sending church, Origins is going to play such an enormous part in this new ministry. What what makes Kaylin and I most excited and what gives us so much hope is knowing that another church in this city will have the opportunity to experience the same health, the same family, and have the same great influence in Greenville that this church has. And to be clear, uh, this is not a Stephen and Kalen thing. This is not our thing. This is an origins thing. And we have so much confidence moving forward knowing that we're not in this alone, but we're in this together. I want to thank Pastor Matthew and the leadership at Origins for giving me the opportunity to serve on staff Thank you for taking a chance on Kaylin and I um, and for seeing the calling on our lives. Thank you for ordaining me and commissioning me for gospel ministry. And to this family, thank you for letting me be your pastor and for showing unconditional love to Kaylin and I. The Lord has used this church family to grow us, to challenge us, and to show us what a faith family should look like. We pray we can reciprocate this same culture that we have here uh, when we arrive at Dunneen and then in every ministry that we have the opportunity to be a part of. And although Sundays may look different, Kaylin and I look forward to partnering together with you all as we continue doing ministry here in this city. As we say all the time, it's never been about a church, 
but it's about the capital C church. And we believe that the church in Greenville, and I believe personally that the church in Greenville is on the verge of an awakening unlike anything that we've seen before. And despite what we see around us, I think that everything in our, in our country and everything that we've been going through in recent months is just setting the stage for a movement of God. So get ready. And I want to close just by reading a verse. It comes from Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew. Emotional oak, yep. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been around at Origins very long, uh, you need to know, like, this is why we exist. Um, I even gave, you, I gave it to you ahead of time so you can read it. We're not going to keep our best. Like, that would be selfish. Um, when our best say that God's calling him elsewhere, we're going to say, good for you and go in peace. And so, Stephen and Kaylin, we consider you the best. And we, uh, we love you. Yeah. So I'm about done. <laughs> I'm about done. I already read this, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to hear this on Sunday. And so here's what we're going to do. Like, next Sunday, we're going to pray for them, and we're going to send them off. Uh, but in the meantime, shoot them emails, shoot them texts, uh, leave them like vocal, like song voicemails if you want to because they love those. Sing to them. Um, everybody loves singing voicemails. Um, do that for them and um, hug them however they feel comfortable receiving that during COVID-19 awareness month, year, decade, and, and do that. Um, but yeah, this is, like, this is why we exist, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and bless people as they go. So uh, if that's shocking to you, and if you're new with us, and that seems off, and uh, you want to go somewhere else, we don't want you to leave, but, uh, but we understand, and we're going to change your mind that this is the way things should be. Uh, so thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, be sure to talk to them uh, this week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Happy Father's Day. Um, John, would you pray for us as we leave, man, because I can't do it. <laughs>